0: Well, again, welcome to worship, especially to everyone worshiping at all our different campuses right now. It's awesome to be united in the spirit in all different locations, or maybe some of you are watching on your couch at home, which is awesome, too. We're just glad that you joined us. Something that we believe with all our hearts is it's no accident that you are worshiping with us. We believe God has led you here for a reason Today And so we're excited about that and that God has something special for you today. Have you ever noticed that when we wanna know about someone's faith background, if we're trying to figure out if maybe someone's a Christ follower or not, there's a particular question that we often ask. We say, you know, does so-and-so go to church? You know, maybe a new member or a new neighbor moves into your neighborhood, and you're wondering, you know, I wonder if they go to church. Maybe it's a family member you haven't seen for a long time, and you're going to go to a family reunion, and you're like, I wonder if they go to church. Or maybe you get in a conversation with someone, you know, at school, you're at a parent meeting for your kids, and you ask somebody, where do you go to church? And now it's obviously a great question, but I think sometimes it becomes the end point instead of the beginning point, that we've sometimes boiled our faith down to one thing. Do you go to church or not? And what happens then is that we somehow separate following Jesus from just something we can check off the list on Sunday morning, that sometimes we make our Christian faith way more about attendance than about discipleship. And so what I want you to know today and as we continue on with this series that we're in, is that God's highest calling for you is not just going to church. Now, don't hear me wrong. Don't get up and leave. We're really glad that you are here this morning. It, it is an important part of your spiritual journey. But again, it's not the end point. It's the beginning. And so we hope you make Sunday worship, a regular part of your routine. We hope if you're traveling on some particular weekend that you watch online with us, because again, we do believe worship is a vital part of our faith journey. But I think we sometimes get mixed up on where our priorities should be and what we should be about as Christians. And some of this stems from a translation issue. You see, in the New Testament, in Greek, when it talks about the church, there is a word that's used again and again, and it's the word ecclesia. And so as the church was formed and as we read through the book of Acts, it talks about this ecclesia. But the actual translation of that word is a called out assembly or congregation. It's describing a group of people who are committed to faith in Jesus. That's all well and good, but then as the Bible became translated into other languages, especially when it was translated into German, that word, "ecclesia" was then translated as kirka, which became our word church. And instead of a people, a a called out congregation, or people called by God, it became a descriptor of a building. Now, you might say, well, it's not really that big a deal, is it? But Think about how we often talk about church. Way too often, church is just a destination. It's an address. It's a building. But you see, in the New Testament, that wasn't it at all. The church was the people of God, called by God to represent Him and to further His mission. See, the church is not just a place to go, it's not just a destination. It's not just a building. We are the church. And the church doesn't just exist for us. No, we exist for the world. And so we need to keep our eyes focused on the world around us instead of just being content to be a little bubble of people that comes and meets for an hour a week on Sunday morning. Now, we, the people of God, the ecclesia, those who have been called by God into his family, are kind of like seeds. See, we need to be planted, and we need to grow, and we need to be fed and watered and nurtured as we grow in our faith. And I think it's no accident that all throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and the New Testament, one of the primary images of spiritual growth is a tree planted by water. Take a look at Psalm 92, where it says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. Now, I don't know about you, but I really wish the image of spiritual growth that would be used in the Bible would be like a light switch. Or it would be like a rocket ship blasting into space. Like something you could just complete, check off your list, and then move on to the next thing. Because is there really much slower than a tree growing? Right? I mean, you could set up a lawn chair down by a river and watch a tree and not really see a whole lot of growth, at least in one day. But yet, this is the image of what it looks like to grow in our faith, to be a tree Planted and slowly growing over time. But yet this psalm also says as we slowly grow that the righteous will flourish. And not only that, they will grow spiritually strong and they will bear fruit even into an old age, staying fresh and green all throughout. You see, this long, steady process of growth is actually vitally important. But the harsh truth is, you can go to church week after week, but never develop deep roots. You can show up on Sunday mornings. You can even sing along with the band. You can throw a couple bucks in the offering plates and still not grow. You can even experience God's presence at a high point in the service. You can even say, you know, I'm going to go make some changes in my life this week and still not be planted and grow your roots like we are called to. You see, if you don't allow yourself to be planted and to grow and to develop those roots, If you don't allow yourself to be fed and nurtured over time, you will never experience the growth that God desires for you and He intends for you. Remember, there's something we say around here all the time following Jesus is a growing experience. Following Jesus is not something you check off the list and you're done. There's not a time that you graduate and you say, all right, I get to move on to the next thing. Following Jesus is a lifelong growing experience. And that means for every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter what our story is, there's another step that we can take today. And you might say, but, you know, I've known Jesus for 75 years. There's still another step. That you are called to take. And you might say, well, like I'm just getting to know him. I'm not even sure if I believe yet. Well, there's a step you can take today. Because following Jesus is a growing experience. Now, throughout this process of growth, there are certain practices and there are certain opportunities that we can engage in that will help us grow. We talked about last week as we kicked off this series that one of the best things we can do as we seek to follow Jesus is simply to imitate him. You know, the word Christian means little Christs. We, as followers of Jesus, are called to be little Christs. Now, of course, we fall miserably short every single day. But it's a reminder that we are called to imitate Jesus and how we live, to do what he did, to love who he loved, to have the same priorities that he did. And so last week, we talked about a particular passage in Luke chapter 6, which is a day in the life of Jesus. It's just a little snapshot of what he's all about. And in this passage, Luke 6, 12 to 19, we see that he had three dimensions to his life and his ministry. Three different things that he prioritized again and again, and he invites us to do the same. And so in this passage, we first see that he prioritized looking up and connecting in a relationship with God as Father. It was like breathing for him. He needed continually to be connected to God. He took the time to do that, even though he had such an urgent mission. But the next thing we see is he calls together a group of 12 friends, his disciples. He invited others in, and he invested in them, and he built relationships with them. Community was vitally important for Jesus. And then at the end of the passage, we then see after he is invested in his relationship with God and with others, then he is able to reach out and minister to the crowds He reaches out to the broken and the lost with the good news of the gospel. And so we, too, as Christ followers, are called to engage in these three dimensions, to look up, to connect in, and to reach out. And it actually fits very well with what we call our Calvary growth track. These are the things that we hope each one of you are engaging in regularly to keep on growing in your faith. It starts with worship, and you're doing a great job at that so far. Part of worship is connecting up with God, but what I want you to consider is that worship is not just meant to be on Sunday morning. Worship is actually a lifestyle. Imagine if you would treat work and your home and your neighborhood and your recreation as an opportunity to worship God, to stay connected with him, How might that change how you live your daily life? Then next, we are a big believer in small groups, building community. This is all about the in, building an inward community where we can support and strengthen and help each other and care for each other. And then to serve, we're called to go out and to meet the needs around us in Jesus' name. How are you called to serve others? wherever God has placed you. And then finally, we're all called to give, to give of our time and our talents and our finances. And really, that encompasses all three things. It's a connection to God, it's a connection to others, and it's a way we make a difference outside of these walls. And so we believe when you engage in this growth track and you prioritize these dimensions of life, just like Jesus did, that you will be growing in your faith. And that's so important. Now, I want you to look at Jeremiah 17, 8, where it says, They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Now perhaps you've visited or at least seen pictures of Redwoods National Park in Northern California. And you might already know that the Redwood tree is the tallest and largest living organism on earth. These trees can grow to be over 375 feet tall, and they can be more than 40 feet wide, which is unbelievable, right? You just kind of wonder, how can they stay upright? This large tree when there are storms and there is wind and so many things that can come up against these trees, and yet century upon century, they continue to grow Well, of course, one of the main reasons that they're able to survive like they do is that there are so many trees close together that as their roots grow down, they go down 100 feet into the ground. But not only that, they go out 150 feet wide. All of these root systems intertwine together, and they end up supporting each other. They give each other strength so that even when there are storms, even when the winds come up, they're able to stand strong. You know, I think this is kind of a picture of what we all need in our lives to continue to grow and to remain healthy. The truth is, every single one of us, no matter who we are, is gonna face storms in life. We're gonna have struggles, trials, and tribulations. I mean, almost every week, right, we face stressful situations. I mean, maybe you have to interact with an unreasonable person. Maybe you're saying, that person lives in my house. I see them every day. You might have to face some sort of opposition. You might have to face some sort of setback during the week. Whatever you're up against, if you try to face it alone, you're simply more vulnerable in the moment. It doesn't matter if you went to church today or you've been going to church all summer when you face those trials and tribulations if you do so alone you are in a much more vulnerable position. If you don't have community there to support you and to strengthen you, you can often end up in much more pain and much more trouble. So here's the important truth I want you to hear today. That is this. We are created for connection, but we naturally drift towards isolation. God has wired us up for community, for connection, yet when we're not intentional about it, we naturally drift towards isolation. And the thing is, that is a dangerous place to be. Have you ever seen on the National Geographic channel or on PBS a lion hunt before? You know, these lions team up, and what they do is they try to isolate the weakest member of the herd. And that's actually a great picture of what can happen to us spiritually. When we are isolated, we are so much more susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. Something I've seen again and again in my ministry is that people are easily taken out by the enemy when they are isolated and they are alone. You know, when marriages start to struggle, often what happens is the drift increases and each party becomes more and more isolated. Without intentionality, without hard work, what often happens is we drift towards isolation. Now, if you do a Google search... On lessons learned during the pandemic, you will find all sorts of different resources and articles about this topic. From every perspective, every way of thinking about it, but there's something that almost every one of these lists has in common. Again and again, people have identified the pandemic has reminded us how much we need each other, how much we need community. You know, social distancing, as great it is, as it is for someone who's introverted like me, eventually we still start to crave connection. You know, as great as it is sometimes to be in Zoom meetings and you can wear your pajama pants and nobody knows about it, eventually we realize it's no replacement for in-person human connection You know, after the vaccines became readily available and we were able to shake hands again here at church, it was an incredible moment to be reminded of how much we crave connection and community. And not only that, it actually matters to our physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental health. Because again, God has wired us up to be connected to each other. So I think as Christ followers, we need to be intentional about fighting this drift towards isolation. You know, when you're in a stressful time, when it feels like life is falling apart, we just have this natural sense where we're going to kind of just isolate ourselves. And so we need to be careful. We need to be intentional about seeking out community. And you know, Jesus showed us this again and again. Jesus poured into his small group of disciples. He called 12 of them, and they traveled with him wherever they went. It was his support system. It was his small group. But it didn't stop there. Jesus also had three disciples that were his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And there are certain times when Jesus is about to do some incredible ministry thing, or he's going up to spend some intense time with God, and he calls those three, his inner circle, to go with him. But then it doesn't stop there. Jesus also had a best friend. Six different times, John is called the disciple Jesus loved. And so when Jesus was hanging on the cross, and he was about to die, and he looked out at the crowd, and he found his mother Mary, he turned to John, and he made sure that John, his best friend, would look out for his mother after he died. But it doesn't stop there. When Jesus rose again on Easter and he gathered his disciples together again, and he said, all right, now you guys go out and spread my message. Go and tell others the good news of what I've done. He sent them out two by two. He never sent people out alone because again, we need support and strength, connection, And community. And so I want to share three reasons. Three reasons I believe you and I vitally need Christian community. So number one is something, if you've been around Calvary any length of time, you've probably heard us say again and again. But again, it's such an important thing. Spiritual growth best happens in a small group. Spiritual growth best happens in a small group. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. We need motivation. We need others alongside of us. He says, and let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Another thing we like to say around here is that circles are better than rows for growing in faith and growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, don't hear this wrong again. It's great that you are sitting in a row right now. It is an important part of our growth track But you know, when you're sitting in a row, have you ever noticed that it's pretty easy to get distracted? Like you can take out your phone and start checking social media and like everybody around you just thinks you're on your Bible app. Or maybe you're thinking about all the things that you need to get done this afternoon before Monday morning that's going to come way too quickly. Or maybe you're simply thinking about what you're going to order at brunch today. Like is today an omelet day or a pancake day? But then hopefully... Time to time, you tune in to what the person up front is saying. But then maybe when you're listening to what we're saying, you're like thinking, that doesn't make any sense. I've got a question. I would love to ask a question, but it's kind of awkward when there's hundreds of people in the room, so I guess I better not do that. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about at all. I disagree with this whole premise. Well, you know, when you get into circles with other people, It's a much more comfortable and accessible time to share life together, to ask questions, to express doubts and disagreements even. But it's also a great time to find community, to pray for each other, to support each other, to actually go through life doing life with others. That's why we believe it's so important that we get out a rose and we get into circles. We all need people who will inspire us and motivate us and challenge us to become the people God created us to be. Have you ever noticed that really to become the best versions of ourselves, we need other people. Because every one of us has blind spots. We need others to help show us how we can change, how we can become more like Jesus. Now, of course, that's not an easy process. It can be pretty uncomfortable. But when you have a community that you know is cheering you on, praying for you day by day, and caring for you, it makes all the difference in the world. Number two, you need community because you need a safety net. The sad truth is sometimes we don't realize how much we need community until we desperately need it. The fact is we're all going to go through times in our life where it feels like everything is falling apart. Chances are something's gonna happen to you or to a loved one that's gonna rock your world. And maybe you've already had something like that happen in your life or maybe more than once. Now, some people, their strategy is like, I'm gonna build up all of my investments and my portfolio and I'm gonna try to become bulletproof. Like I'm gonna be ready for anything life can throw at me. But you know, when our world falls apart, it's not our portfolio that matters. It's not how much money we have in the bank, it's people. It's in those moments that we need connection. You're gonna need emotional and spiritual support. Now, generations ago, this used to come through large extended families. But many of us don't live as close to our extended family as the generations of the past. For others, it was sometimes work colleagues. But again, we know today that people switch jobs way more often than they did even 20, 30, or 40 years ago. And so that means we have to be even more intentional about building community. Now, when I started my ministry at my first church about 18 years ago, Lexi and I were newly married, and we joined a small group, And in the years we were together with those couples, every single couple had to reach out for help at least once. Every couple went through something or some crisis or some challenge where they needed the others. Health issues, relational struggles, parenting challenges, job changes. Every one of us had hard times where we needed support and encouragement and prayer And the most important thing was simply being present with each other. Now that came at our weekly meeting, but sometimes it was 2 a.m. in the hospital parking lot when we got an urgent call. I think every single one of us needs a community who's willing to drop everything to come and help and pray, even if it's 2 in the morning. In fact, I think every one of us needs people who would be so offended if we didn't call at two in the morning because they care that much about us and what we're going through. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 6. Carry each other's burdens. But then look at what he says. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If you want to fulfill what Jesus commands us to do, one of the best things we can do is to gather in community and carry each other's burdens. Third and finally, Jesus chose small groups to be the primary way that he changed the world. Jesus' plan to change the world was to invest into a small group, then send them out to build other small groups who would then send them out And they would just replicate the process. Now, there's a huge argument to be made that Jesus should have just been a first century Tony Robbins. Like he could have had these huge conventions and he could have talked to thousands upon thousands of people. But that wasn't his plan. He decided to invest into a small group and then send them out to do the same. Look at 2 Timothy 2 because Paul understood this so well. Paul says to Timothy, you have often heard me teach. Now, I want you to tell these same things to followers who can be trusted to tell others. Now, at first glance, it's like the wimpiest multi-level marketing scheme ever. But what if there was incredible wisdom behind it? Because Jesus invested into 12, who then went out and invested into more, and suddenly thousands upon thousands and millions upon millions of people became followers of Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 2, the story of the early church. It says, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't know about you, but that is the kind of church I want to be a part of. And one of the keys is that they were simply meeting together, encouraging one another, and going out to invite others in. Well, I hope that I've made a case today for why you need community in your life. Now, I know there are all sorts of excuses that we can automatically come up with. We're too busy. We've got too many other friendships. We've got too much on our plate. I'm not sure I can give up another night of the week. But you know what? I think this is a vitally important topic, not only for your spiritual growth, but also for your mental, emotional, and physical health. Because again, we're created for connection, but we naturally drift towards isolation. So I want to leave you with a very simple question. It's the same question I asked last week. And that's this, what's your next step? What's your next step? You know, it's one thing to listen to this message today, but it's another to actually do something about it. It's one thing to just go to church for an hour a week, but it's another thing to be planted and to grow roots. It's one thing to understand Jesus' plan. It's another to actually follow him and be a part of it. So how are you going to make community a priority in your life? How are you gonna make sure that you don't drift towards isolation and loneliness? So what's the next best step? I would encourage you to not miss our next session of small groups, kicking off on October 3rd. Because again, spiritual growth best happens in a small group. And I'm super excited about this new series that we're gonna start on October 3rd. It's called, It's Not You, It's Me. Have you ever noticed that when we wanna improve our relationships, we like to diagnose all the people around us? But what if the most effective way to improve all of our relationships is to start with ourselves? You're not gonna wanna miss this session. You're not signing up for life. It's just one session. Go to calvary.org slash small groups. Go find someone in a blue shirt and get connected. Don't miss out on this opportunity. Because again, we were created for connection, but we drift towards isolation. Jesus needed community. And so do you. And so do I. Let's pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your goodness, for your gracefulness. We give you thanks for your power, for your presence for how you model relationships for us in the Trinity. God, we know that you've created us for connection and yet we drift so easily towards isolation. We think we can do it alone. God, help remind us of your truth that we are created to do life together. And God, I pray for each person here that you would help them take the next step to grow in their relationship with you but also to grow in their relationship with others. And then God, use us to impact the world for you. Help us to be the most loving, the most forgiving, the most peaceful people around. Not because of who we are, but because of who you are and you're living within us. So we ask your Holy Spirit to fill us up to overflowing. And we pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. And let's all say together, (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.